0: Moms, has it ever felt like maybe you were talking to your kids and your kids just didn't listen? Yeah. Many times, right? Many, many times. Seems like you're talking and it goes in one out in, in one ear and it goes right out the other and, and you're really not able to you you're looking at your children going, are they ever going to get it? Are they ever going to understand what we're saying? And and you wonder if you actually make a difference. And today we want to say moms, you make a difference and we want to say thank you for what you do. If you have your Bibles, Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, you go to the very beginning of your Bible, that's Genesis, you go one book over, that's Exodus, and we're going to chapter 2. We're going to be talking about a very famous man today, actually. Uh, Many of you know him, it's not Charlton Heston, it's actually Moses, the the real Moses, okay, before the movie came out, Moses, the guy who went up on the mountain, uh, Ten Commandments, Moses. Matter of fact, he is considered by many to be in the top ten leaders of all time depending on what you look at. Even even business leaders will look at this man who led millions of people and the radical changes. that He'll be in the top 10 many, many, many times. He's a great leader. But instead of just looking at Moses today, we all know him. We kind of know his story. But here's what I want to do. I want to focus on his mom. His mom has an incredible story. And in fact, she has an incredible faith. In the midst of a time in which it would have been easy to lose her faith. She had a great faith. And so I want to share with you just the impact of a mother's faith on her child and then even on the world. Exodus chapter 2. You have your Bibles. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? I want to start in verse 1, and here's what it says. Now, a man from the house of Levi, that was his tribe, his last name, tribe, went and took, his, took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. And when she could hide him no longer, she took him and made a basket of bulrushes, daubed it with butchman and pitch, and she put the child in and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. What an incredible, incredible act of faith, isn't it? It's amazing. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this time. And here we are. We're getting to look into your word. God, I pray that you would bless this time. And God, I pray that you would bless this moment. God, I pray that today you would encourage where people need encouragement. God, I pray where people need to be strengthened. God, I pray that you would strengthen. And God, today I pray that you would be lifted high. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. May be seated. So here's what we have. We have a a woman's faith that we're going to be looking at, and we're going to see the impact she made. But before we can actually get into right here where we jumped into in chapter 2, you have to kind of understand the context of what is going on in her world and what is going on on a national level. So if you back up just a few verses into chapter 1, here's what we find. Chapter 1, we're going to find that there's desperate times. That this lady is living in times in which it's hostile. It's not a time in which you would expect to say, yes, this is a perfect time to get married. This is a perfect time to have a child. Look at verse 8. Now there arose a new new king in Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to affect them with heavy burdens. Stop right there. The desperate times. Desperate times in which normal, easy living. They had been living in, in Egypt for now years. And it had been good. And, and they had come because Joseph. You remember the story of Joseph. They had come because Joseph had invited all the family to come and live in Egypt. A land that was prospering. A land that was really prepared for a famine. So the family all came. And, and as one Pharaoh passed, a new king arose. And the Bible tells us that he didn't know really the whole story. He didn't know Joseph. He didn't understand what Pharaoh had done. He didn't, didn't even know that Joseph was the second in command. And he didn't realize even that, how that Joseph was used by God. So he says it doesn't, he didn't know him. And so he looks out across the land and he says, These people, these foreigners who are living in our land, they could rise up, they could overtake us, they could come and fight with our enemies, and he begins to look across. And what you see without a doubt is fear, don't you? Fear. And when somebody is motivated by fear, fear of loss, fear of failure, fear of losing control, then all of a sudden what you usually find is right behind that fear is anger, frustration, and aggressive actions. And Pharaoh steps out and he says, we've got to do something about it. He enslaves all the people of Israel. I don't know if you understand and we can even fathom because we live in America. It's hard for us to fathom that, isn't it? It's hard for us to fathom because we are the land of the free. It's hard to say, oh, wait, there's another country who comes in and now they take over. And now we are forced to serve without rights. But that's exactly where we find them. And then he goes and he says something else that, Very interesting. Verse 15. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives. Look, verse 16. Here's what he tells them. When you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birthstool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, you shall save them alive. So now he's not only put them to slaves, but now he calls the midwives. It seems as if there's two main midwives who oversee all the other births and all the other midwives in the country he says ladies your orders if you see a a girl being born that's great perfect leave them alone But right after the birth and you find out that it's a boy you're to kill that baby boy you see we we fight abortion today and we stand against it and say there should be we need to fight for life this is something that's been going on way before just our times this is a, it's a, it's a natural thing that Satan wants to destroy life. But we understand because God creates life that life is precious. And even today as you walk out, you're going to see baby bottles out on the, uh, uh, in the foyer. We ask that you take that from now to Father's Day, that you take one of these bottles and you just put your loose change in. And he goes to the Crisis Pregnancy Center to help young ladies understand the importance of life. So these two midwives, they're in charge of all the midwives. And so now what they do is they go back out and they can't do it. They can't kill the babies. They can't get rid of the baby boys. So what they do is they leave them all the same. They leave them alive. Pharaoh gets word of this and says, wait a minute, something's wrong. What's going on? And I want to show you the humor in the Bible here. Look down in verse 19. Then the midwife said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. This is kind of funny. For they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes. He says, wait a minute. Pharaoh's saying, hey, you're supposed to be killing the boys. Why aren't you killing? Pharaoh, just listen. Egyptian women, they're sissies. They're not very tough. When these ladies, these Hebrew women, when they have their babies, when it's time, we get there and the baby's already out. What can we do? We can't do anything about it. They just fall out. We don't know what to do now. I, I say that because let me give you a little story. My wife used to be a, a basketball coach, and so uh, we uh, we were. Uh, she was a head coach for a girls' basketball team, and and so. She was coaching, and Hannah was born. That's our second. She was born in December, December 5th. So basketball season had already started that year, and it was November. And so the, Jamie's out, out there. I come walking in one day. I had, I had Abby, who was about two and a half years old. And so Abby's with me, and we're walking into the gym. And we walk into the gym, and, man, my wife, man, she is a go-getter. She's, she's very strong, great personality in the sense that she knows what she wants and she expects. I mean, just she's a coach in, in every aspect. So we walk in, and I start laughing because she's getting on to the girls about playing defense. And in basketball, you're supposed to actually get down, right? You're supposed to get down and play defense. And the girls just weren't doing it, and she's telling them. And finally, she goes, girls, this is what I want. And she threw the ball to another girl. She slaps her hands, pounds the floor. Come on. That's my wife. She's eight and a half months pregnant. She's two weeks away from delivering Hannah on December 5th. So she's boom. And that girl's eyes, she got so big and she's like, and James is like, come on. I mean, she's down. Come on, go. And she's like, coach, is the baby going to fall out? <laughs> High school girl. You got to love it. I mean, they, so just didn't know. So here's the humor. You, you laugh at the Bible because it, it just tells it like it is. And, and so these midwives, they don't kill these babies. The, the Egyptian women, they, have, they need more help. They need more medicine. I don't know. But the Hebrew women, they're strong, and the babies just happen. So Pharaoh now gets more people involved. Let me show you what God does. Even in the desperate times. Verse 20. So God dealt with the midwives. And the people multiplied and grew very strong. Verse 21. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them what? families don't 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 skip over that just as if that is not that big a deal because today on a day in which we celebrate mother's day we understand that children are a gift from god whether they're born to us whether they're adopted into our family they're a gift from god it's something special that god gives and god is the one who put the blessing on and so we continue on then Pharaoh commanded all of his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, he shall cast him into the Nile. Can I can't imagine that day, can you? What a gruesome day where they go running into homes and they take the babies and they throw them out into the Nile. And then verse or chapter two starts. In the midst of this desperate time, now we find something very interesting. Now a man says, hey, I want to get married. You can't stop love, can you? Even in the desperate time, even when it seems like bad times, they get married. And even when it doesn't even seem like the right time, what happens? They have a baby. And now I want you to see not only this desperate times, but I want you to start watching what happens. Because desperate times call for what? Desperate measures. So now they have this baby. It's a fine baby, the Bible says. Look in verse two, chapter verse two of chapter two. The woman conceives, bears a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, other translations will say a beautiful child. Now let's be honest, moms. Have you ever seen one of your kids be ugly? No, not when they're born. They're beautiful. They're beautiful. All parents think their kids are the most beautiful. That's okay. That's what you're supposed to do. And that's something different going on here in this chapter in this verse. Because not only are they saying, wait a minute, this is a fine looking baby. This is a beautiful baby. There's something more happening. Somehow, some way, God puts into the depths of their soul saying there's something different about this baby. God is saying, I have a destiny and I have a job and I want to do something different. And there's something that you need to do. Because he's not just fine. He's not just good. There's something more going on. So the two parents, the mom and the dad, decide they need to do something. Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, it says that it's actually a choice of both the mom and the dad. And they make a choice. They say, okay, we're going to keep the baby. Now, they keep the baby. And did you, look what it says. She hid him for three months. Now, I, I, we've had kids. You've had kids. Do baby? Are babies quiet? That's kind of amazing to think about. It kind of blows your mind. How do you keep a baby quiet? You can't shake them. That's against the law. You can't go, shh, and the baby stop. The babies don't stop just because you go, shh, no crying. And just because you feed a baby, it doesn't mean that the baby's going to stop. They sleep when you're awake and they are awake when you're asleep. It's just, how do you keep a baby hidden for three months? Somehow in God's providence and God's working, he blessed their efforts. They take these desperate measures and they're keeping the baby hidden. And I don't know how you do it. I don't know what ways you do it, but they hide a baby for three months. And after three months, they say, wait a minute, we can't do anymore. And so the desperate measures have to increase, don't they? If we can't hide the baby and we want to keep the baby alive and Pharaoh's killing all the baby boys... Then what do you do after three months? So she takes and she begins to make a basket. And she comes up with a plan. And look what the Bible says. She put a put the basket together, she put the child in it, and then placed it among the reeds by the river banks. We read this so fast and we know the story so well that we can miss the detail of what's happening. She didn't just put the basket into a river that's flowing and rushing and just hope that it all worked out. What you find if you really look at what's going on, she actually places the basket exactly where she wants it, in the reed so it doesn't move because she actually has a plan that goes beyond just placing the baby in the river. What's her plan? How do you know there's more of a plan? The Bible tells us. Look what it says. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would happen. Verse 5. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down. Let me help make sure you understand. In these days... There were certain areas that the daughters of Pharaoh would come. There were certain areas of the Nile that the king's sons, the princes, would come down to the river. They don't just go up and down the river anywhere. They have certain places because they actually have steps that they walk down to go into the river. There's are certain areas that the royalty and the royal family would go. They don't just go up and down. They have the nice cultivated areas. So this mom... She placed her baby in the reeds close enough so that the Pharaoh's daughter, the royalty could hear. That's a pretty brilliant plan, isn't it? And not only did she do that, but she goes so far as to actually give the plan to her daughter and just say, sweetie, here's what you have to do. I want you to watch and I want you to know what's going on, but you have to be very careful. Do not say that that's your brother. Do not say that you know who the mom is. Do not say, because this is a young child. This is Miriam. This is somebody who is at least preteen or under. Because if she's in her teen years, she's married off. So Miriam is here. She has a plan. This mom took desperate measures. She planned to the best of her ability that her son could be alive and something special could happen. Do you see it? And then... Watch what happens with these desperate measures. And then the woman told the servants in verse 5. Hey, go get that baby. What's going on? Verse 6. When she opened it, she saw a child. And behold, the baby was crying. She took him up, took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrew children. This blows my mind. Because now... The mom is out of the picture. Her human efforts are finished. There's nothing else that this mom could physically do except to trust God. Do you see it? Trust. To actually put her faith into God's hands and say, God, I'm going to allow you to have control of my baby. I will make all the plans that I can. And I will do my best effort, but mom, or dad, or mom, the mother is saying to God, God, here it is. I give it, don't give my son over to you. It's only God who could change a heart. And it's only God who could actually breathe into the Pharaoh's daughter kindness to say, take this child for your own. That's amazing. That is a moment in which we just take for granted. But it was God who moved on behalf of this mother's faith. It was God who moved. And now we see verse seven. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Isn't that brilliant? Hey, I I can help, I can help. And she doesn't say I'm the the baby's brother. She doesn't say that. She doesn't say that, hey, I know the mom. Jesus says, Hey, you know, I'm just I just want to help you, Pharaoh's daughter, I just, princess, I just want to help you. I, I could go get somebody to help you. And God does what? He blesses. He blesses because there's faith in the moment, and he says, Okay, I want to work and look what happens. Verse 8 Pharaoh's daughter said, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me. And I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. This is an amazing moment. There's got to be celebration, right? There's got to be great celebration saying, yes, God, not only did you save my baby, but now you gave me back my baby and I get to take my baby home. And there's got to be a moment when she takes the baby home. There's just great celebration. Yes, my son's going to live. This is great. But now there's desperate restrictions placed on her. These restrictions are more than she can really fathom. Because at a point she has to be celebrating. Then she has to come back to say, wait, I get paid. This is great. But there's going to be a point in time when the baby's mature enough and finished. I have to return This baby. Can you imagine what she's thinking? What do I teach my son? How do I impact my son? What do I do with such a short amount of time? God, you gave him to me, but now what am I supposed to do with just a few years? How do I make my son's faith come alive so that it sustains him all the way through his growing up years? Can you imagine those questions? What do I need to teach? Will my son even remember me? How will I help form and forge in my son's life a faith that would last because she knows he's going to go back into the Pharaoh's home? And then that dark time, the restrictions come to pass. And now it's time to take the child back to Pharaoh's daughter. F.B. Meyer gives an incredible quote. I want to read this quote to you because I think it sums up and helps us formulate what's going on. F.B. Meyer writes, The mother's heart must have suffered bitterly as she let the baby go into the unknown world within the great palace gate. Very lonely must the little household have felt when the last kisses had been exchanged, the last instructions given, and the last prayer offered. What a crowd of tender thoughts. Curious speculations, eager yearnings must have followed the little nursling of the Hebrew home. As his mother took him and brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. I can think of no greater despair to then watch your son leave. And to ask the question, did it really matter what I've done? I've only had a few short years. Moms, Your tenderness matters. Your love and your faith matters. Even during the early years when you think that it does not matter. I read a funny seven points that a lady wrote about her mom and how much moms love. Let me read these to you. Moms loved you enough to bug you about where you were going and what time you would get home. Mom loved you enough to let you discover that your friend was a creep. Mom loved you enough to stand over you for two hours while you cleaned your bedroom. A job that would have only taken her 15 minutes. Mom loved you enough to to ignore what every other mother did and said. Mom loved you enough to let you stumble, fall, hurt, and even fail. Mom loved you enough to accept you for what you are and not what she wanted you to be. And most of all, mom loved you enough to say no, even when you hated her for it. This mom loved her child, and now she had to let go of, and to return. And the question becomes, can what you do, even in the early years, can it even matter? Does it even matter? And let me just reemphasize, because of this mom's faith, in desperate times, with her desperate measures, even with the restrictions she had, because of this mom's faith, it blessed her son. And not only did it bless her son, it blessed the world. Isn't that amazing? So let me end with three things very quickly. Three things that I want to encourage you with. Ready? Number one is this. There are no accidents with God. There are no accidents with God. Well, he come on, that's a big statement. There are no accidents with God. You might be a mom here today, you might be a lady here today, and you're going, man, this is one of the worst days of the year, and you're looking at this day, and you, you can't really stay in this day, because today it reminds you of the family that you don't have. Can I say once again, there are no accidents with God. God knows where you're at. God knows what's going on in your life. And you might be a a woman here today and it is just extremely tough. Maybe there's been a loss in your life. And I just want to encourage you. There are no accidents with God. God knows where you're at. God knows what you've been going through. Men, this might be one of the toughest days for you. And I just want to encourage you once again, there are no accidents with God. Even when the world was falling apart, in the midst of Egypt, There were no accidents with God. He knew what was going on, and matter of fact, you ready for this? He even had a plan through it. There are no accidents with God. Matter of fact, God's plan is so amazingly clear that in their pain, He took their pain and He took their loss. And he brought Moses into the Pharaoh's home, into the courts to learn Pharaoh's systems. And through that court and through that system, he raised up Pharaoh. And later on, he brought that young boy back as Moses to those same courts to be the judgment on Pharaoh. There are no accidents. And in your pain, God has a plan. And in your pain, God is wanting to do some of his greatest works in you. There are no accidents with God. Number two, your faith impacts your children. Your faith impacts your children. Now, this could be encouraging for some. This could be one of those things. Yes, praise God what I do. My faith matters and it's impacting my kids even when it doesn't seem like it is. It could also be challenging for us as well. Because maybe it causes us to take a step back and evaluate where our faith is at, how our spiritual life is going. Maybe something that we've been lacking and we say, wait a minute, I need to actually get this back in line. Your faith matters. Those early years, they matter. There's no substitute for mom. There's no substitute for mom. Your prayers, your faith. Over and over again when I do funerals, you know what's amazing that people say? because of my mom. It's because of my grandmother's prayers. It's because of her faith that I'm here today over and over and over again. Mom, it's your faith. It's your prayers. It's what sustains the family. And I just want to encourage you. Your faith impacts your kids. Either let it encourage you or let it challenge you or let it do both. But your faith impacts. Number three, you can trust God and then you fill in the blank. You can trust God. He's big enough to trust. You can trust God and you just fill in the blank. With your fear, with your finances, with your kids, your grandkids, you can trust God. He is big enough to trust. Yes, there is the human element of you doing what you can And then you just step back and say, God, I've done all that I can. You obviously are bigger than I am. So God, you change hearts, you open doors, you do what I can't do. And I'm going to trust that you know best and you have the best interest of my kids, my family, my life, God, I'm gonna trust you. You can just fill in the blank. God, I'm gonna trust you. You can trust him. And you fill in that blank with whatever else it is. You see, when you actually live a life like this, psalms tells us it might be dark but joy comes when in the morning and i want to encourage you moms you are doing a great job you're doing a great work your faith